Welcome to this episode of City Minutes. This episode is part one of a two-part series looking at the findings and implications of Cities Outlook 2024, our annual economic health check of UK cities and large towns. This episode focuses on the main theme of this year's outlook, how cities and towns have fared over the last 10 years. I'm joined by my colleague Paul Swinney to talk through the analysis and its implications. We've done the work in the context of obviously that 2024 is a general election year. And we know that from all the polling that the economy is the number one issue with the public. And both parties have already set out the need to get growth. They recognize that the, the economy has stuttered and they need to get growth. And they've also recognized that it's a long-term plan or a 10-year plan. And so they've laid out some ideas around that. So in order to get a handle on what that might mean for the general election and whoever forms the next government, as I said, we've looked at the last 10 years to see what's happened and then what that might tell us about the next 10 years. So, Paul, we've looked at uh, uh, several indicators to get a grip on what we think has been happening over the, the, the last 10 years. Just take us through those indicators uh, in turn, and then we'll kind of draw out some of the implications for the parties and for the next uh, the next government. Sure. So we we look at um, a range of indicators to co- get a, as as rounded picture as possible in terms of, uh, of what has, has gone on. So let's um, uh, the first indicator we we do is jobs. And we say, well, okay, what what's happened with with jobs since twenty ten, and as we found in some other work as well, the UK has gone through a bit of a jobs miracle um, since that period. And I remember, I think it was either David Cameron or, or George Osborne stand up not long after uh, they had been elected and said something about how many jobs they were going to create. And everyone was incredulous about it. You know, they were saying that they were going to create more jobs than what had been created in the previous 10 to 15 years, which had been a, a boom time. Um, and yet, actually, when we then of you know rolled a lot rolled out history and we go back and we look at the data. Um, not only did we meet the targets, I think that they had set out, we actually went way beyond that too. So 4.6 more million jobs in the UK in 2022 than 2010. Um, almost every city, uh, bar I think it's Worthing and Aberdeen, see uh, see jobs growth, and the majority of them see you know very strong jobs growth as well. There were 11 places that see an increase of, of jobs, which was greater than 20 percent. Uh, and in London, it was almost 30%. You're know, 1.4 million extra jobs. That's more jobs than the whole of Wales, Andrew, which obviously is a place that, that you know well. You know, it's like a whole extra Wales being added to the UK economy, which is is incredible. So first off, out the traps, jobs, you know, thumbs up. You no, know, it looks pretty rosy. But if you start to look at some of the other indicators, picture then starts to not look quite so great. So productivity, really important in terms of uh, long-term prosperity generation in terms of long-term uh, incomes. So it's a very important thing for us to have a look at. And matching the uh, matches of the wider UK uh, stuttering of, of productivity, we see that the, the slowdown in productivity has been felt in almost every part of the country. Now, there are very few cities that performed well, so strong productivity growth since uh, 2010. Rose, very few that have, were all in the greater southeast. Um, and elsewhere, you know, we've seen some almost anemic productivity growth, you know, very, very uh, small changes. And in some places, even it's, it's even gone uh, gone backwards too, with implications then for when we then look at incomes and disposable incomes in particular, you know, implications for how much money people have got in their pockets. So 
Um, everywhere or most places has, have seen an increase in incomes, but income growth again has been underwhelming. You know, it's been well, the rate of growth has been well below the rate of growth we saw between 98 and 2010. So look at the previous period and give us that counterfactual to have something to, to measure it against. Um, and the implication for that, and we do some estimates around that, is that you know, people are many thousands of pounds worse off. You know, have missed out on many thousands of pounds because we haven't seen the growth that we would seen in the pre-2010 period, because growth has been you know, less than half of what it was pre-2010. So on average in the UK, uh, we calculate that um, somebody is £10,000 uh, worse off than it would otherwise would have been if the economy had continued to grow in the way that it had done. Um, but then we look at... Um, Look at some of the, the worsted places, and we've got a number of places where that figure was over £20,000, or £20,000 less to, to spend or to save over the period in places like Burnley, but also in places like Cambridge and places like Milton Keynes. Now, when we do this, Andrew, very rarely do we get the opportunity to, to say Burnley, Milton Keynes and Cambridge all in the same sentence. Um, but you know, these all these places are from very different historical performances, have all been hit very hard. I think it points to a, a very uh, uncomfortable uh, fact that part of the reason why the UK economy has stuttered over the last 10 to 15 years is because it's not just been you know, those uh, post-industrial uh, towns and cities that have struggled, but it's also been the innovation superstars that have struggled too. And we should be really alarmed by that. You know, We've talked about levelling up and the need to, to address growth in certain parts of the country, which we absolutely need to do. We've now also got this other problem which has unfolded, which is the underperformance of, of these previously successful places as well. And you know, if they're not firing too, then we really are uh, in trouble. Okay, so that's so jobs, productivity, and disposable income. Let's look at the fourth uh, indicator that we looked at to see the performance, which was housing. So housing um clearly uh, has uh, takes up you know large shares of people's income. And the bad news on this is that. You know, in a period where incomes haven't grown very much, housing has become less affordable in almost every city. So there are just five places where housing became more affordable. Um, everywhere else, it got worse. And where it uh, where this was most acute was in places where housing was already the biggest challenge in 2010. So places in the Greater Southeast already had um, the least affordable housing, and that has just been um, reinforced over the last uh, 12, 13, 14 uh, years. Um, now, clearly, this, is an, this has implications for people who rent in particular, and if at the bottom end of the labour market especially, the incomes haven't been growing very much, uh, housing costs have been uh, getting worse, that is going to squeeze incomes even more. So those income uh, uh, measures tell us, go, so come some way to tell us how people might feel, but those housing costs then tell us about how that income they have has then been squeezed. Okay. And the fifth... Uh issue that we look at is um, poverty, both absolute and relative. So say something about what we find there. So this might then not come as much of a surprise, given that everything has followed before. Um, but uh, relative poverty, so how much how much income people have got relative to, um, uh, to the medium wage uh, in the country uh, has got worse uh, in almost every city that we look at. I think, again, there are only two places where relative poverty has declined. Uh, child poverty, we we look at, in every other place has increased. Um, some stats around that in 2014, the earliest year the data was available, no place had child poverty rates above 30%. That means 30% of children living in households that are in relative poverty. Fast forward to 2021, the latest data, and that had increased to six. And to give you a, a feeling for what that actually means, in Birmingham, which is one of the six, there are 60,000 more children 
living in relative poverty in 2021 than what they were in 2010. So it's really telling us, uh, you know, not just then the average in terms of uh, what's happened to incomes, but it's telling us something about how there's been a squeeze at the bottom end. And I think even more uh, interesting or alarming, uh, probably both, uh, more of the latter, is that in-work poverty over that time has increased too. So we've got more people at the work, which is a good thing, but wages haven't been rising very much. And that then means that rates of in-work poverty have, have uh, gone up as well, which again is is leaves a, a, a large issue, uh, yet another large issue for the next government to, to try and grapple with. Yeah, and I think what 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 happens with the when you look at the five indicators that we've just um we've just talked about, Paul's summarized, you know, often the conversation around the economy and growth can feel quite abstract. Talking about productivity can feel quite an abstract thing, but actually it has real life implications for the, the money in people's pockets, the ability to uh, to find a home that they can live in, and indeed uh, to the extent to which um, they're living in poverty or not. So there's a real tangible everyday experiences as a result of weak economic uh, growth. So that's all the analysis. Let's Let's turn to the implications of that analysis, as say 10-year analysis, in some respects, 20-year analysis for the general election period and um whoever forms the next government. And we say a bit in in the in the report on, on this, but really there's kind of two things or two areas that we we highlight. Um one is around choices. We've talked a little bit about and we highlight that there will be choices that will need to be made both in the election period, but also in the um, the next government, and particularly choices where some of the short-run politics, you know, the the desire to win the election, uh, may sometimes clash with the the reality of the economics as to where you would want to be focusing time and uh, and money. So we've we've identified um, sort of three areas uh, around this sort of choice issue. Let's take each of them in turn. Just say something very briefly on each. Well, and then we get to the second big theme. So the first one is cities and towns. Yeah. So um, no doubt many listeners will have seen the, uh, the the tweets and the and the words that Rishi Sunak uh, typed and said around Conservative Party conference last year, where there was a lurch back towards uh, focus on towns and how we need to shift the economic geography away from cities um, towards towns. The political reasons for trying to do this are very clear. He obviously thinks there are votes in it. But the economics of it are awful, you know, and, and ultimately, yes, we should be doing things in towns um, where we can, where we should be doing as, as much as we possibly can do. But the crucial thing is that we will not um, see an improvement in the prosperity of people live in towns without also seeing the improvement in the economic performance of their neighbouring city, because big cities in particular play uh, uh, a very important role in the wider region in terms of generating not just jobs, but high paid jobs too. And one of the main reasons why a number of towns further north struggle and the way that a number of towns around London don't struggle is because of the underperformance of these big places, um, uh, which you know, that has to be uh, has to be first and foremost, not lurching too much into into the political narrative, you know, and being able to tell that that tough economic story about why it is really important we continue to focus on cities. Great. So the second area that we identify this sort of choice tension going on is um, we actually look at planning reform, but it tells us something broader about you know the tensions between rhetoric and reality. You know, through this last um, parliament and indeed before. 
uh, particularly the Conservative government, have had strong rhetoric on the need for planning reform, recognising that we need to build more homes because homes have become increasingly unaffordable. And more recently, you know, the the Labour Party have also come out and said, you know, we're the, we're also going to build more homes. Uh, both Starmer and Sunak have, have claimed themselves to be nimbies rather uh, to be yimbies rather than uh, nimbies. But the point we're making here is that we've had rhetoric around this from all parties of all stripes, you know, around the need to build more. What we'll need to see is actually to judge them, whoever is in government next, as to whether they actually uh, live up to the words that they undoubtedly will share with us during the election. So that's the second sort of area around choice. The third one, Paul, come back to you on this, is around the everywhere and somewhere. You know, there's some choices to be made about how we think about where we're going to divert or um, uh, prioritise and just say something about, not least because the analysis has shown us that pretty much everywhere um, has done badly over the last decade. Well, there's, yeah, there's, uh, again, there'll be a political um, uh, allure, I guess, uh, might be the best word to talk about particular places, perhaps to um, put places into a, into a certain bucket because it's easy then to talk about them. So it will be, you know, Oh, we need to do something about the north, and so the conversation gets taken in the direction of the north, where we do need to do something about the north. But I think there is, um, there's this, this second element that the report shows about the, about the the stuttering, the flatline of, of of those superstar economies in the in the greater southeast as well. And I think anyone who's going to have a, a credible growth plan um, to make the twenties, twenty twenties, and twenty thirties more prosperous than the twenty tens is going to have to have policies which sort out the underperformance of places like Cambridge and Milton Keynes and, and London. And so that is going to be a, a, te- a tension too, because clearly the political rhetoric has been about levelling up, quite rightly, and they need to find a way to be able to navigate around talking about levelling up, but also being able to have a, have a story to tell about how they're going to improve these places further south as well. Yeah, good point. So so that's one big theme uh, that we raise in terms of from an implications point of view around the choices that will be made in the short run, in the election, uh, and by the next um, government. The second big theme that we highlight is actually one around continuity and continuity rather than churn. So just just unpack that for us, Paul. Yeah, well, the last 14 years have been uh, punctuated or by by ch- policy churn, um, numerous pots, funds and initiatives, which in fairness is something that's bedeviled this area since the 60s. And we've got uh, a chart and report where using a number of different sources, trying to pull together um, as many of those as possible. And we'll, you can see that this is not just something that has uh, fallen under the guise of a conservative-led government since 2010, but has uh, is been a... a uh, something that governments of both colours have done for many, many decades. Having said that, there are two really important things that have happened uh, over the last 14 years that uh, we think are very important to, to continue on with. The first one is the levelling up white paper. Um, it wasn't perfect, but it was definitely better than what we thought it was going to be. It sets out a plan for what it is that uh, that policy should do, Um which again, we haven't tend to have one of those in the past around in this area. But what it didn't do is then set out, or what the government didn't then do off the back of it was to set out a program of policy action backed with with sufficient funding. And that's what I think we want to see next is con- don't throw the white paper away, continue with it, but actually set out a, a long term plan of policy action with with that funding attached to try and bring about change that the white paper is is trying to do. The second one is devolution. You know, I mean, Andrew, I think if we were having this conversation in 2010 or 2011 and someone had said to us, this is where we're going to get to by 2024, I think we would have laughed them out of the room. Um, 
it just didn't seem that it was going to get go anywhere. And yet, you now look at what we've got, which is mayors across um, almost all of our big cities now and places elsewhere. We've got trailblazer deals agreed in principle, where West Midlands and Greater Manchester are going to get greater amount of freedom over how they spend their money. You know, that is a you know, it's taking us towards where um, where cities and other developed economies are and the freedoms that they have. Um, we should celebrate where we've got to, and the next government of whichever colour should very much continue with that work um, because there's still much to be done. Our big cities still lag way behind their European counterparts, not just in their economic performance, but also over the control they have over their own economies and, and other things going on within their cities. And that's where we like to, to see that progress continue to happen. Brilliant. Thanks very much indeed, Paul. So that's kind of a summary of the, of the analysis that we've done and then a summary of the sort of implications of that analysis for the um, for the coming year and particularly because it will be a general election year, what that means for the way that the parties engage in some of these issues and then set up uh, the programme of work for the next government, whoever that may be. You can get all the detail on Cities Outlook 2024 on our website, centreforcities.org. Thanks for listening.